morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, March 14th, we are studying John chapter 13, verses 21 to 38. In today's text, Jesus will reveal both Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial, and yet he still gives his disciples this new commandment, love one another. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Boisclair. Pastor Boisclair serves at Bethesda and Faith Lutheran Churches in North St. Louis County, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm ready to, ready to study the Word of God. As we get started today, Pastor Boisclair, help us with some context. We've got the end of John chapter 13 today. What should we know about John's gospel and what has been happening leading up to this text? Yes. Um, in this particular text, uh, you have before this uh, where the Lord uh, shows himself to be a slave, uh, you know, uh, in, in a sense, or the servant uh, by, by washing his disciples' feet. Um, this is, in a sense, he's, he's uh, basically showing them how, in, in a way, he shows them not only how they should uh, care for one another, because he says, uh, you know, as I have done to you, so you should do to one another. He's also showing about what he does and what he will continue to do through his death and resurrection. Uh, that he, uh, even as um, Luther says, that he washes us, uh, washes away our sin, which is more than what a, what a mother does when a mother washes a child. Um, in, in John's gospel, of course, uh, most of the, uh, uh, just the things that John is concerned with, like the signs that were to happen, the six signs that happened before, from the uh, water change into wine to the raising of Lazarus has already taken place. And, and so they're, they're kind of waiting for the final sign, which, of course, is, is his being uh, lifted up uh, on the cross and, and of course, him uh, rising again from the dead. Mm-hmm. And, and so, in, in a sense, this is, this is kind of uh, maybe just really exciting because it's gives, it kind of fleshes out the, uh, what happened in that upper room on, on the first Maundy Thursday. That's right. So we are on Monday, Thursday, still in John chapter 13. John does not record the institution of the Lord's Supper as we get in the Synoptic Gospels, but he does give us this foot washing, which we looked in the previous text. And I think what you said there about Jesus showing himself to be a slave, which is, that's the way the Greek actually reads, is that he is a slave. Servant really isn't quite strong enough a term. So I think using that word slave kind of helps us really see what Jesus is up to here and the great extent of his love. But just putting those two things together, keeping in mind that we are on Monday, Thursday, when Jesus instituted his supper, and we see him on that same night washing feet, that's a, a wonderful picture of that full extent of his love, that he has come to love sinners. He's become a slave to sinners, which is just a remarkable thing for us to rejoice in. 
And, and right at the beginning of uh, chapter 13, it says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Um, you know, usually uh, sometimes there's a desire for those uh, who are that are critical of Scripture to say that this was not uh, the um, Maundy Thursday event as recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, but uh, that this is uh, perhaps uh, a, an occasion that happened before that. But, uh, you know, that, that it's uh, the way in which it's uh, written and in, in John 13, you, you do not have to rule out uh, what we know and what we, um, what we understand of this event is that it's the uh, Maundy Thursday, uh, la- uh, uh, you know, Last Supper mm. uh, event for us. Right. And, and as I mentioned in the previous show, when we covered the first part of chapter 13, John chapter 13 is sometimes used as the gospel reading for Monday, Thursday. There's an option to hear John 13 or to hear one of the accounts from the synoptic gospels. I don't, do you, which one do you usually use, Pastor Boyce Claire, or do you go back and forth? Well, I, I think, um, we, I usually use the the uh, John 13 passage because it, it relates to what the day is, is traditionally called, a Monday, Thursday, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than a, that a man loves, uh, gives up his life for his friends. Mm. And you are my friends. <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole thing. And also, uh, it's customary, uh, in, in, at least in, in, our, in the later tradition, probably the last 50 years, to have foot washings as well, which is kind of what, what happened at the beginning of this, of this chapter. So I would say that, um, you know, at least in my, in, in my practice or in my ministry, we've used, uh, we've pretty much consistently used uh, John 13. Okay, that's good. I, I've I've done a little bit of both, I suppose. I know there's there's been some years where we've read the synoptic account of the institution of the supper, but then other years where we will hear John 13. In either case, however your pastor does it, that's great. It's good for us to keep in mind that those two things both happen on Monday, Thursday. And as you said, we're going to get to that part of the text today where the name Monday, Thursday actually comes from. It comes from that Latin word for commandment, a new commandment. We're going to hear that part of our text today. So we are in John 13, beginning at verse 21. We turn to this text. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. I'll pause there. That takes us through verse 30 of John chapter 13. So, Pastor Boisclare, at the beginning of this text, we find out that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. We don't always get to hear the emotions that Jesus has, but here we do. Why is Jesus troubled in spirit at this moment? 
Well, in looking at this, I believe that he was concerned about Judas and and the, you know and I as oftentimes is said that that he was trying to make a last ditch effort of of trying to reclaim Judas although I mean he he was pretty sure that um Judas was pretty well lost he, he you know a lot of times um you know we we think about Judas uh as Jesus said he was the son of perdition um, that uh, so, in a sense, uh, Judas is the only one we know is in hell, um, and 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 I, I remember having a discussion with a, a brother pastor about that. He said, "No, no, no, we can't necessarily say that." I said, "Well, when the Lord the Lord says it better, it would be better for that person if he had never been born." And so, you know, it, it, in in a sense, I'm I'm wondering uh, if if in this that he was uh, perhaps. Uh, and, and this, of course, as some interpreters have said, that, that Jesus sort of to, to the end tries to uh, get him to, uh, well, you, you, there is a possibility that he could have repented after he did this, you know, but he doesn't. I mean, as the scripture says, he went out and hanged himself, um, and, and he, he didn't have uh, a convert, well, well, should we say, a, a kind of a, I don't want to say a deathbed experience, but uh, you know, like what Peter had. Peter had the opportunity, even after you did something just as bad as Judas, by betraying uh, the Lord, uh, or not betraying, uh, by denying him three times. And um, but Peter, uh, God, you know, by the grace of God, he he repented bitterly, uh, weeping. And and Jesus reinstated him at the end, where he asks him three times, you know, for the three. Uh, times that he rejected the Lord, that denied the Lord, that, uh, do you love me? And in the case of, but in the case of Judas, of course, um, it, it, uh, he, the reason why Judas was lost was because he uh, refused to repent. He despaired and he, and he committed suicide. Not to say that the suicide necessarily uh, was the end, but it was, uh, Judas did not have faith right. and, and, and then he despaired of eternal life. Right. So that, and again, that's, that's an important point that you made. The reason that Judas is lost is because he rejected Christ. He rejected the gift of repentance to which Christ would have called him. And this is the desire of the Lord is to save sinners, not that the wicked would die in their sins, but that the wicked would repent and so have life. And certainly this is Jesus' desire, even for Judas, even as he knows Judas will not repent, that still is his desire. And, and we know that even within this context, just in the previous text, we found out Jesus knew Judas was going to betray, and still Jesus washed the betrayer's feet. He has that love for Judas. And so I, I think, yeah, to see that Jesus was troubled in spirit very well could have to do with knowing what Judas is about to do and what that means for Judas himself. I, I also wonder if the fact that Jesus is troubled in spirit has just something to do with the fact that one of the 12 closest people to him on this earth, was about to betray him. And just as any human being knows how deeply that hurts to be betrayed by a close friend, so Jesus experienced that same hurt by being betrayed by one of his 12 closest friends. I think that's that's uh, very safe to say. And perhaps he wanted his the other disciples to know about this happening. You know, ob obviously, uh, when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, they weren't expecting 
uh, the other disciples were not expecting the um, temple guard and and uh, and there were I think there were Roman soldiers that are there and everything to to burst in on them as they did. Uh, Jesus, of course, knew that was going to happen. Uh, but um, uh, but I think what you said is probably probably the um, you know, isn't that the kind of a way in which, uh, you know, we, we may have friends in our lifetime that we're very close to, and, and then we, we hope that they um, uh, are moved by the witness that we give. And, and, and when, when some of them, even after we've known them for, uh, you know, 30 uh, years or so, then we'll find that uh, really, they really haven't <laughs> understood uh, uh, you know, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in, in my own case, I can say that I've, I've known people that uh, I, I thought that uh, I, I gave a clear witness to Christ and, and uh, then and there is no, um, and there, there doesn't seem to be any difference in, in, in their uh, unbelief or maybe uh, misbelief. Mm. That's, that's, that's kind of, that's a, that's a real sad thing when you, when you are, faced with that usually like with relatives or close or other close friends sure and then to have a, a relative or a close friend be the one to betray you that that is greatly hurtful and jesus is experiencing that here it was in the previous text where jesus quoted from psalm 41 he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me and we're going to see that happen quite literally in our text for today and, and just to think about how great a betrayal this actually is, that one of the people with whom Jesus is sharing a meal, and in fact, Jesus is going to give part of that meal literally right out of his hand, that's the one that's going to betray him. That's a deep hurt. And to, I, I think the, the reason that this is worth pointing out is because it's a reminder that Jesus has experienced our human condition, and he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses and in our trials and in our sufferings. We can know that when a close friend betrays us, our Lord went through that same thing. And I think to to see you know him being troubled in spirit here, perhaps over that fact, is a reminder that that when we experience that same sort of betrayal, we can go to him with our cares. We can pray to him as from the Psalms and know that he hears us and and he will help us because he's he's been in that same situation. Exactly. You know, it, what, what's a, a blessing about uh, John's gospel is that, um, you know, we get to hear, as you said, you know, not very often do we know uh, Jesus' state of mind or his, uh, you know, he, he was also human, of course, without sin. Um, and, but I mean, this is, as in um, uh, uh, John 12, which, which is one of my favorite pass, or, uh, chapters in John, where he, he also says that his soul is troubled. Uh, and then he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It was for this reason that I came into this world. But in, in this, and that, it, the, it, then, then there was, of course, the, uh, the voice from heaven. And Jesus says to those who heard that it was for your sake. So it is for our sake that we hear you know how he was troubled, and we and we can gather from the word why, and 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 it is very very um, uh, edifying for us. Well, in bringing up what you said from John chapter twelve, another example where Jesus' soul is troubled, I think is helpful because in that text you see his resolve to go forward to the hour of his cross, to the hour of his glorification. That although he knows the pain and the suffering that he will experience. 
and that's not necessarily a, a pleasant thing that he's looking forward to. At the same time, he goes there willingly because he's going to lay down his life out of love for sinners. This is what he wills to do. And so here to see that similar expression, you know, his spirit is troubled, perhaps again at this moment, because he knows the pain he's about to experience. Yet he doesn't stop the, the he doesn't stop right here. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say to Judas, I'm not going to let you betray me. We're going to, we're going to call this right here and right now. I'm not going to go through with it. Rather in the midst of his spirit being troubled, he continues forward with that same resolve we've seen throughout the gospel of John to do what is needed out of his great love to save us sinners. Yes. And, and, and uh, yeah, I, I was just kind of thinking about that. I mean, uh, if, if Jesus wanted to, he knew what was going on. He could have said, okay, um, uh, my, my other uh, disciples, let's uh, Judas, Judas is going to do this. Let's stop him yeah. <laughs> or something like that. That's not, that's not uh, the the way, because it has to be in the manner in which, uh, the Father has has desired it to be, and this is this is of course uh, the way in which uh, the Father uh, wa- wants it, and and the way Jesus also wants it, and uh, and there there still is the prospect if if it would uh, you know if it would happen that Judas uh, could repent, mm. and and perhaps the maybe these last last ditch efforts. Uh, might have been at least uh, somewhat of a lifeline that's thrown out to him. Yeah, it's what I mean, it's interesting that Judas. Uh, you know, we're told that he says uh, after our Lord is crucified, he comes back with the thirty pieces of silver and says, "I've used it to betray innocent blood." Uh, you know, I you know I I've uh, betrayed an innocent man and throws the the money back in the temple, and and which is which is rather funny. But un, uh, but the the sad thing, of course, is that he. Uh, does not repent. Mm. So as you said, Jesus does not use this as the moment to point Judas out to the other 11 and have them gang up on him and stop him. In in fact, the way Jesus puts this, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He says that to all of them, to the great confusion of everyone in the room, other than Judas, I suppose. Judas knows who he's talking about, and he knows it's him. But the other disciples are confused. They don't know what's going on. And whereas that same confusion does come up in the Synoptic Gospels, we get a little bit of the the eyewitness testimony of, well, John here. He's He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved at this moment. And we, we find out a little bit of the you know inside witness testimony here of what happened at that moment they were confused. Uh, take us into this, Pastor Boyce Claire, with the, the confusion, how they respond. Um, well, I mean, in, in the synoptics, uh, you know, it, it, you, you have them asking, certainly not I, uh, certainly not I. And then, and then um, you know, G- Judas says the same thing, and, and Jesus says, well, you said so. <laughs> That's his way of affirming something like that. Um, and uh, it, it's there. It really uh, uh, dis- it destroys in the moment if you think about it in a human <laughs> point of view. You know, it, it's kind of like this is the last time that that he will. Um, you know, the last time he is with them. Uh, you know, in a co- in in his state of humiliation, in in this in the way he has been with them for three years, and then and then to just drop this drop this bomb uh, among them, and. Um, you know, as you said, there's there's also something that perhaps only John would remember is is basically what what happens in in the next couple verses, where uh, 
you know, it's maybe, maybe Peter is looking over. Jesus is sharing a, a dining couch with uh, Jesus and, and he, he is uh, lying on his chest and, uh, and, and he's closer. So Peter, Peter's kind of maybe motioning him and saying, you know, ask him who he means by this. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe Peter might, might would have, might have, would have wanted to ask him. Right. So, and in, in this context, then we find out that the one who is right there next to Jesus is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now we talked about this at the very beginning of our study of John, that this way of speaking, the one whom Jesus loved, is probably the John's way, you know, going with the, the tradition of the church. This is the Apostle John who wrote this, and he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. But this, I believe, is actually the first time within the gospel that John calls himself that. So talk a little bit about that significance as we encounter this title for the author, for John. He calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. Why that? Why that? Um, obviously, uh, John, uh, James and John with Peter were part of the inner circle. I believe Andrew might have been, although I thought I've read where Andrew wasn't, uh, that um, it in, in, in basically he doesn't he doesn't want to um, uh, to to he, he's humble and he doesn't want to mention mention that uh, to to them. And um in this particular case, I'm just I'm looking at the Greek here and seeing whether or not it is, uh, you know, they use the word. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, he uses the one whom Jesus loved, agapa, and then that, of course, is the manner in which God loves all of us. So you 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 probably you you might even say that that could be said of all the disciples. It as some. Some have speculated that uh, Lazarus was was uh, this disciple because it says that Lazarus was uh, a, a believer that Jesus loved, you know. And they said, "He whom you love is sick." Speaking of Lazarus, um, but uh, I, I mean, I believe there's very strong evidence, and, and that we should say that this is uh, is John. Um, other, other than you know, in a sense, it it it's probably maybe it throws people off the off the scent because he loves all of he with agape he loves all his disciples, mm. um, but but perhaps the, the maybe of course this may be more in maybe kind of a, a way in which he can um, bring out who this was. I think he gives a lot of clues. Oh yeah, uh, I, there's. I don't think there's any reason at all to doubt the the church's traditional identification that the disciple whom Jesus loved, the author of this gospel, is John the apostle. That the same one who received the revelation, the same one who wrote the three epistles, who bear his name at the end of the the New Testament. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that by any means. It is a. It maybe catches us off guard, and I, I think the very and I don't remember when this was, but the very first time I learned that. John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It struck me as rather presumptuous. Like, well, who do you think you are, John? You're the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, what about the rest? But, but later, as I, I reflected more on it and as I listened to others teach me things, like, it, it's actually, I think, a sign of his humility that, that rather than saying, oh, look, it's me, John, I wrote this gospel, the best thing he can think to call himself is the one whom Jesus loved. And that's true for all of us. It, it's not about it's not about Tim Apple. It's not about David Boyce Claire. It's not about John the Apostle. We're content simply to be the ones Jesus loves. 
and and, and uh, thinking about it, what what a what a delightful um, uh, event, or, or rather, in in John's own life, that that was that must have been that he was so close to our gracious God who became one of us, and um, uh, in in and and was and was like that, and then 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 the Holy Spirit, of course, caused him to write this this splendid, beautiful. Uh, testament testimony to to the Lord who loved him. Hmm. So this is the the inside knowledge that John has at this moment. Peter has motioned to John, "Hey, ask Jesus who he's talking about." John does so. He leans back against Jesus. He's, he is that close to Jesus as they're eating, and he says, "Who is it?" Jesus answers in verse twenty six, "It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it." Then Jesus dips that morsel. He gives it to Judas. Just talk about the significance of that action as Jesus gives this morsel of bread to Judas. Um, it's interesting. At, at another point in time, uh, it's sort of like a, uh, not, not coincidental perhaps, but uh, that uh, that during the, in the course of the dinner, uh, he and Judas must be pretty close to, to where they are. He must be uh, you know, in other words, perhaps Peter and John are, are close to Jesus, but then Judas was also within reach of, you know, of, of where Jesus was reclining at, at the table. And at one other point, uh, they both happened to dip uh, uh, the, the sop or the, the morsel into, into the dish, like of the, uh, I think it's of that, uh, you know, uh, salted water that they use, uh, you know, during the Passover meal. Um, in in this particular case, of th- th- this is um, in maybe a, a more specific manner in which uh, you know a Judas is indicated. I, I'm I'm really it, it mentions that they did not know uh, you know as sort of a general idea what what Judas was doing. You know, in other words, John could think, well, yes, uh, he's he's going to go out and and uh, give give some money to the poor, but I think I, I really believe that John recognize the fact that this that this was uh the man that will betray him because he just told him you know but but of course it's it maybe something that john kept to himself um and 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 then of course we see in the in the next verse um you know you know something which is frightful that is as as he took the morsel that satan entered him mm, yeah so let's let's talk more about that on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron here on kfuo We're talking with Pastor David Boisclair this morning about John chapter 13. We will be right back. Please stick around. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. 
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, March 14th. We're studying John chapter 13, verses 21 to 38 with Pastor David Boisclare. He serves at Bethesda and Faith Lutheran Churches in North St. Louis County, Missouri. Pastor Boisclare, prior to the break, we got to the moment where Jesus gives this morsel of bread that he has dipped to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And John records that after Judas had taken this morsel, Satan entered into him. As you said, that's a very frightful thing to read, to recognize that Judas at this moment has sided not with the Lord, but with the devil. That's a very frightful thing to read. Just briefly, before we talk more about that, I think it's, again, worth pointing out that Jesus willingly does this. He knows that Judas is about to betray him, and yet he gives this morsel of bread, this sign of Generally, this would have been a sign of honor and distinction, and apparently Judas must be pretty close to Jesus. If John's right there next to him, perhaps Judas is even on the other side. It, it doesn't seem that Jesus is necessarily reaching all the way across or something, that Judas is right by him in perhaps a position of honor. Jesus loves Judas, and and yet Judas is about to betray him. So you see the great love of the Lord and, and yet the great tragedy of Judas betraying Jesus. Satan enters into him. Jesus says, what you are going to do, do quickly. I think both of those things together, just it's, it is a very frightful picture. The hour has come. It's here. You know where it's going. And it's, boy, I mean, just to be there and, and watching, it's a very dramatic moment. Yes, and, and you know, something else um, to, to note is that, uh, as as it's pointed out, is that uh, Judas just received the body and blood of our Lord uh, when when he gave it the first time, and um, you know that and 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 that kind of it's sort of like an illustration of the fact that uh, there are people that uh, eat his body and blood in the sacrament that eat unworthily or without faith. And, uh, and, and so that it's kind of like that's, that's sort of an illustration of, of when, when this might have happened. But, uh, you know, the, 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 and, the, you know, John really will, as we will see, John really emphasizes how uh, dark a thing this is. Um, and uh, again, it's, it's Jesus uh, does not try to stop Judas. He, 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 he basically says, uh, you know, in other in, in other words, uh, you know, like when this is presented, like in um, the the uh, play and the film Jesus Christ Superstar, you kind of have an interplay there where you have Judas ask Jesus, "You want me to do this?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which is which is uh, you know that Jesus perhaps uh, in a human sort of way, no, no, he wouldn't want him to do that. He do, and, and mostly, I think, for Jesus is he, he would be concerned about Judas himself 
You know, what, whenever, whenever there's the prospect of, of someone having Satan enter into them. Now, not in this case, it's not, uh, you know, like physical possession, like a person that's possessed by a demon. This is, this is spiritual, uh, per, per, uh, in a sense, how we come into the world uh, before we are baptized. Uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, uh, sort of spiritually uh, empowered by, by Satan or, you know, coming into the world. And and in a sense, I think it, I think you made a very good point that he's Jesus is making a very deliberate, uh, you know, action which he is uh, de- wanting to take up uh, the cross that he is supposed to take up. Mm. So, this is where we find out that the disciples don't really seem to understand still what is going on. No one knows why Jesus says this. They think maybe Jesus is telling him about going and buying things for the Passover feast or maybe, or for the Feast of Unleavened Bread that's coming up, or maybe he's telling Judas to go give something to the poor. You you mentioned earlier in our conversation that there are some scholars who, uh, of a critical nature, that may think that this didn't happen on Monday, Thursday. Uh, another commentator that I read suggested that the fact that they think that Judas could be going and giving something to the poor at this hour at night shows that, in fact, it does need to be that same evening of the Passover, because that's really the only time of year that there would have been those gathered in an area where almsgiving would be possible. So this note about this is what they thought is more evidence that, yes, this did happen on Monday, Thursday. I do want to spend some time, though, talking about what you've already brought out, the darkness of this. The last note we have in verse 30 is, it was night, which is literally quite true. It was night. But it seems like John's doing more by reminding us that it's night than just to give us the time of day. It sounds like he's talking about the darkness of what's going on, theologically speaking. Talk, talk more about that, Pastor Boisclair. Oh, yes. And, and um, as, as uh, I like to, I kind of agree with St. Augustine that talks about uh, the fact that uh, darkness or, or uh, black, uh, that night uh, is because of the lack of, of light. And, um, you know, it, 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 in a sense, it, as Augustine says, there is no such thing as pure evil. Uh, although there is pure goodness, um, there's kind of like degrees degrees of evil that, that uh, in, in other words, there is something good about Satan, the fact that he exists. If he, if he was pure evil, he wouldn't exist. Um, in, in this particular case, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it, it is for the reader of the gospel to realize this is, as Jesus says to those who confront him in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the power, this is your hour and the power of darkness, in, in which, in a sense, uh, perhaps God is saying, okay, to Satan, you know, okay, now you have a free hand uh, to do with uh, my son what you want to do to him. And, and uh, you know, and Jesus allows himself uh, to be, um, you know, shamefully uh, treated and put to death. And, and, and in a sense, it's kind of like pointing out that that's, that's the devil's plan. But as we see from Scripture, that is the devil's folly. Uh, you, know, you know, as St. Paul says, if they really knew what they were doing, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. And so, and this, and this is this is kind of like even at the point of his death on the cross, you know, he he crushes Satan and he destroys death and 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 all of that. It's just it's just marvelous to see how how it how how God arranges all of this. Mm. Yes, it certainly is. And so now Judas has gone out in verse thirty. He has left. 
Now it is Jesus and the eleven, and the uh, the next several chapters of John will be quite a bit of discourse from Jesus to these eleven, preparing them for what is about to happen. So we pick up the text again in John 13, verse 31. And when he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. That's the rest of our text for today. That takes us through the end of John chapter 13. So, Pastor Boyce Claire, again, Judas has left, and now Jesus begins to speak at length to his disciples. And, and he starts, you know, now is the Son of Man glorified. In chapter 12, Jesus says, the hour that we've been waiting all along, it's here. And now again, he, he emphasizes that fact. Talk about this, this imminence of the glorification of the Son of Man and God in him. Well, it, it's it's kind of it's a paradox. Uh, it is the it is what Luther spoke of as the theology of the cross, is that God is gloried, or is glorified in the incarnate Son of God being uh, put to shame and and crucified, but the glory, of course, is in the fact that what He does is is for the salvation of the world, for the life of the world. Um, this this is the manner that that is how God is greatly glorified when when um, goodness prevails uh, when when um, you know the, the, that the Savior can be the substitute for all people in the world and then what He did for us in His great passion uh, on uh, later on this day Monday Thursday and then on Good Friday uh, that that He uh, is is He effectively and conclusively uh, rescue or saves the world or, or or at least atones for he answers for all sins and then uh, you know ultimately will uh, destroy death and bring life and immortality to light uh, and and so in, in in a sense this is this is the whole reason that he came into the world and 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 it is his glory not necessarily to be seated on some splendid throne, although that'll happen on Judgment Day. Yet his his true glory is in saving humanity by by being the substitute of humanity and suffering and dying. And and you know all through this gospel you hear uh, maybe a few times here and there where it isn't the hour and now is the hour and and then now is even the event as the the person that he is to be uh, betrayed, that he is to be handed over the night in which he was betrayed. That is how the scripture speaks of Monday, Thursday, that particular night, when, which we use in the words of institution in the Lord's Supper, uh, on the night when he was betrayed. And so it, it is his betrayal 
that uh, it, it glorifies him in this way, and, and also the Father. Right, so this is the hour that Jesus has been talking about all along. It is now here. He is going to be glorified by his death and his resurrection. And then it, in verse 33, he speaks such such comforting words there. Little children. He calls them little children. Yet a little while I am with you. This is a, a term that I think St. John will pick up and use pretty regularly in his epistles, little children. Talk about the, the comfort of hearing Jesus call us his little children. Well, he had often told his disciples, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and so he's, he, and of course, it's, it, it, he tries to speak to them as tenderly as he possibly can. Um, and and in, this, in this particular case is, is kind of the, the manner in which we are as, as his disciples, uh, that, that we too, before the Lord, are little children. Um, and he, in, in a sense, he's glorifying them as well through that humility. Who is the greatest uh, among you? Uh, not the one who sits at table and is served, or, but I am among you as one who serves. Um, who, is, who is the greatest? Uh, he took a child and he put them in their midst and he says, you know, you know this is the, the greatest one, the one uh, who is uh, the least of all and the one who, who serves all. And, and, and it's so comforting because he knows this is going to be really hard on them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he he and he tells them a little while I am with you. They're going to be looking for him, and they're they are not going to be able to go where he goes right now. It, it really seems that Jesus emphasizes the unique role that he plays. What he is about to do is something that he alone must do as the Son of God, the Son of Man, who has come to be our Savior. He's got to be the one to do it. So he goes alone at this point. He will talk to Peter later. You're going to follow me. And we're going to see that throughout this ongoing discourse. But right now he makes the point, I'm the one that's got to do this. You cannot follow me right now. I'm going to go and win salvation for the world. Yeah, and, and what's rather interesting is is that um, a lot of times when we think about Jesus going to the cross, uh, even St. Augustine saw the most important point of that uh, as being uh, an example for us. You know, in other words, that uh, Jesus's life and and what he did is like a, uh, a like a form that he God uses as a cookie cutter. If we think of us as cookies, and cuts us out in in this cruciform form. But that uh, there that was where Martin Luther said that he couldn't uh, follow Augustine because Jesus did something on the cross that none of us can do. And, and that's why he says, you know, you cannot come at this time. What's interesting in, in, in chapter 12, uh, you know, study, in my study of that, of that chapter, it says that his, where he goes, there his servant will be. And, and he does promise them, you will be there at some time. You know, you, uh, and, and, and that, of course, is his desire to have the one who is his servant, his friend with him where he is, uh, to see his glory. You know, and and then and then he uses the term a little while, you know, a little while and I, and you will not see me. And then again, a little while and you shall see me yeah. because I go to the father. Right. Yeah. The, notice how the, the language that Jesus uses already will show up multiple times later in this same discourse. That brings us then to verse 34, which is a verse that we mentioned early on in our conversation. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. This is where the name Maundy Thursday comes from, the language new commandment. The Latin word for commandment, I believe, is mandatum. So Maundy Thursday, the new commandment. 
Jesus gives is that you love one another. So talk about this new commandment that Jesus gives in verses 34 and 35. Yes, um, this, this, of course, is the gift of the new obedience. Um, it, it is only through us trusting in Christ by the power of God's Holy Spirit through the gospel that then we, we begin to live as the Lord would want us. And, and in a sense, the new obedience that we have as Christians is something even greater than the, uh, the old commandment. Uh, in, in other words, love is being the fulfillment of the commandments. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is the summary of the commandments, that the fulfillment of the commandments is love. But in this particular case, it is for his people to be like him. Mm. He is the one that uh, loves, uh, you know, while he's saying, I, you know, love one another as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, than that a man give up his life for his friends. Um, in in uh, this area where, where we live, uh, some years ago, there I don't know whether I mentioned this on, on Sharper Iron, or there was a pilot who uh, was... Um, uh, his plane was going to crash, and, and it was near Bethalto uh, in Illinois. And the plane was going to just crash right dead center in that, in that very inhabited part uh, if the pilot were to just uh, jettison, jettison himself and, and have a, have a, uh, uh, a parachute uh, float him to safety. But the plane would, would crash into a populated area. He, he elected to stay with the plane and the plane crashed in like a cornfield or something in Illinois. And, and uh, you know, in, in a sense, it sort of illustrates that uh, selfless love even that the Savior has. I'm not saying that this particular pilot was, was a Christian. It's just that uh, his self-sacrifice, you know, he, he could have uh, jettisoned himself from that plane, but to save that community, he um, went down with the plane. So when Jesus calls this a new commandment, that's what makes it new, is the way that he shows the full extent of what love is. Because as you pointed out, we've got the Ten Commandments already at this point, which are summarized in the two tables of the law. And we've heard Jesus speak that before Monday, Thursday, that you've got, you know, in the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. So in that sense, the command to love isn't new, but what makes it new is the way that we are seeing Jesus at this moment during Holy Week show the full extent of his love. Or as, as he said at the beginning of this chapter, or as John said about Jesus at the beginning of this chapter, he's going to love them to the end. That's, is, I mean, am I, am I understanding that right? That's what makes this a new commandment is the way that Jesus is showing them what love really is at this moment? Oh, I think it's, yeah, it, that's exactly it. And what's rather interesting is the word, as you said, in Latin, is the word mandatum. Uh, that is a, as my professor, uh, my beloved professor from the past, Dr. Norman Nagel, said that that is a Jesus word, uh, mandatum. Uh, it, it, it is, in, in a sense, it's, it's almost like they'd say a gospel imperative, you might say. Mm -hmm. and, and because as Christians, this is, this is just what we'll be like. And even the ancient Romans, uh, you know, they, they said, oh, behold how they love one another. You know, the, our, the early Christians, uh, were, the Holy Spirit guided them so that they could be conformed to this precious commandment that the Lord gave. Well, that's what Jesus says in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Is that, 
along the same lines as what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that they, you know, they will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven? Or is there something more going on there, as Jesus says it in verse 35? I would say there's something more, because obviously at the time that he spoke the words on the Sermon on the Mount, which of course is actually a promise of fulfillment as well, you will be perfect for, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, of course, it can be looked at both ways. It's a command or a mandate, and it's a, a um, uh, you know, it's also a promise. But in this case, it's more because they will see before their eyes uh, the, the Lord being lifted up on the cross and in his great love. And and the and then the heart which uh, is throbs for love for all all people is is something which is such a, a beautiful example of of that love, and and that of course is 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 what we as Christians delight to do. It's sort of like you know in a sense you can kind of even preach law from that and saying well we don't show that we are are known by our love if we are scrapping at one another and so on and and of course then. You know, we we then we are are turned to the crucified Jesus as the one who forgives us for our failings, mm, right? To see His great love for us, and then that love is what brings about this sort of love within us. And when when others see that, then it's not about seeing us. You know, it's not so much oh you're gonna they're gonna know who you are as my disciples, but the emphasis on your your my disciples that the people when they see the love that disciples have for each other, they're really going to see the love that Jesus has for the disciples and for all. I think that's that's really where the emphasis we should place is, you're going to see my disciples, that these are ones who belong to Jesus, and he's the source of this sort of love. And, you know, it's it's rather interesting. In the early church, there, there's, there are to stories told of when Christians are put to death by Roman soldiers, that there was an incidence where they were placed in, in water or something. There was a group of Christians and, and, and a soldier who was so moved by that and the Holy Spirit had caused him to trust in Jesus. He, he took off his, his, uh, his, his clothes, his, um, uh, you know, his uh, armor. And he, he said to one of the Christians, uh, you put on this armor and let me go and take your place. <laughs> and because he wanted to be part of this fellowship of life. Now, our text for today concludes with Simon Peter speaking up yet again. And he has some questions for Jesus. Where, where are you going to go, Lord? Jesus repeats to him that you can't follow me. But then he says, you can't follow me now. You're going to follow me later. Peter, in his typical bravado, says, well, well why not? I'm going to die with you. And this is where Jesus foretells Peter's denial. Take us into this last scene of our text. Yes, uh, Peter, the impetuous one, he's the one that, uh, you know, was the first to sort of be a good friend of Jesus and maybe put his arm uh, over his shoulder and say, when Jesus said that the Son of Man will be, uh, he will be rejected and he will be denied and he will be crucified and everything. And then he was the one that said, this is not going to happen to you now, uh, Jesus, don't don't say such things. And and then Jesus, of course, calls him Satan. He says, get me, get behind me, Satan. Um, is, as a rebuke. Um, in, in this particular case now, it, it, again, uh, Jesus, it, it's about where he's going. He, he you know, a, as you mentioned, and I think very masterfully mentioned about the fact that he was going somewhere that no none of us could follow with him. He was going to, uh, you know, take upon himself the sins of the whole world. And imagine what, what a, a, a tremendous... Um, 
uh, pain and suffering that that he had to go through. Um, and then, and Peter just, just kind of, he's the one, of course, that told Jesus, I don't, you don't never going to kneel down and, and do a slave's, uh, you know, task to me by washing my feet. You're, you know, Jesus says, well, unless I wash you, you can't, you have no part in me. <laughs> okay. Then wash all over, you know, Peter is sort of like, uh, uh, it's all or nothing one way or the other. And, and, and you can just kind of imagine the, 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 the tone of his voice, a pained look in his face. And, and, and then, uh, then Jesus, uh, kind of takes him down, you might say. Hmm. Well, what, what's the significance of, of Jesus giving this ahead of time? I mean, he, he mentioned, was that in, that was in yesterday's text where he says, I'm telling you about Judas's betrayal ahead of time so that you'll believe in me. Is something similar you think happening here with, with Peter, that even as, as painful as this is for Peter to hear, knowing that Jesus knows about it ahead of time is going to strengthen his faith later? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I very much believe that. I, I'm surprised that Peter, you know, was hurt when Jesus asked him three times at the end of John's gospel whether he loved him. You know, G- Jesus was reinstating him. Not, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that sort of legalistically like that, but it, in a sense, it's kind of like, uh, you know, this in the same way as you denied me three times, so I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting to you this question. Uh, you know, he, he says, when you have turned, you know, I think it's in Luke's gospel, he tells Peter, when you have turned, I have prayed for you. Satan wanted to sift you like wheat, uh, but when you have turned, strengthen your brethren. And as you said, it's, it, it's sort of is a sense in which Jesus uh, wants to prepare Peter for that time afterward, after he will be convicted of what he did. And, and I'm sure that he's just simply going to remember everything that Jesus said, and this is going to be encouraging to him. Pastor Boyce Claire, we have about a minute left on our morning. Help us to wrap things up on this section from John 13. Give us the good news that John gives us as he writes these words. What a what a fantastic and wonderful savior that we have is is one to allow himself to be put to shame and to go through the anguish of suffering for all of the the guilt of our sins. Not only was it a, a trying time for him physically, in which in, uh, Luke's gospel says he sweat blood itself, uh, but but he would also you know feel in his soul the the guilt of our sins and and yet. He, he shows us perfect love, and, 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 and it is just with, uh, with our hearts that are just melted by the grace of God's Holy Spirit that we del- delight and desire to follow in his new commandment. Even that John mentions also in his general epistles, you know, that, that the, the commandment is well given, uh, you know, love one another as I have loved you. Pastor David Boyce-Claire is pastor at Bethesda and Faith Lutheran Churches in North St. Louis County, Missouri. He's been helping us today to study John 13, verses 21 to 38. Pastor Boyce-Claire, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, it's my my joy and, and peace in the Lord. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions or comments about the gospel according to St. John, please let us know. You can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or you can use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. Either way, it's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.